ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Are you ready? Hey, thank you. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike and Bros, final hour of the show, but we got so much to jam-pack in here. Flyers win last night. They lead the series with Montreal one game to none. Wasn't their best effort, but they still get the win. Is that a sign of a good team? Is that a sign of a great team? I guess is the question. Now, you texted me last night because I said, this Flyers power play is worse than the Phillies bullpen. And you said that could be what ends up clipping them down the road. I think it's the truth that the power play needs to get fixed. Now, they did score the one power play goal from Provorov's shot, which was deflected, by the way. I, this song, uh, Degeneration X, I'm just picturing their hand motions right now, you know? That's what I felt last night when I saw that first goal tipped in by oh, Provorov. Oh! With that 10 o'clock cup of coffee, <laughs> I sent you a picture. I was not lying to you. I drink coffee. It'll be 2 in the morning. It's like somehow I'm still up. Yep. Well, probably because of that 10 o'clock coffee. And then I'm breaking another one. I'm brewing a fresh pot, 2 a.m. Don't stop me when I'm hot, you know? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, I just made myself another cup, so I'm ready to go. All right. So, yes, the power play to bring this back around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Philly's bullpen better than the Flyers' power play. True or false? It's uh the the power play is going to be an issue. They're going to have to bury team. They had an opportunity to score those. Go- it's two to one third period. You have a four on three and a five That's on four. That's when I texted you. You gotta score, dude. They couldn't get out of their own end of the ice. I mean, and uh, who was doing the broadcast? I watched the national feed. Oh, you last went national. Night. Well, like you know what. I was going to go to the local feed, but when I turned on the television, it was like, we're having a problem, but my channel was on the national network, so I didn't touch it because it was saying we're having troubles, try again, and I kept trying, and I just said, out of the heck, I'll just watch the national feed. Uh, I don't know, who who does the, uh, who's the guy that nobody likes? Milberry, Milberry Mike was Milberry. he doing the game last night? Well, I never even flipped to the to the um, national broadcast. Well, the guy made the comment, he said, oh, this is real bad. You know, when they were doing the power play, he goes, they got to reset this up again. Oh, they got to set it up again. This is real bad. Josh, can you find who was on the broadcast nationally for us? I'm curious on who it was. He, I mean, a lot of people rip him apart because he is yeah, just I know. unbearable. Everybody like, thinks that the guys uh, that do the games are against the Flyers all the time. Oh, I'm too. not one of those guys. See, I'm pro Joe Buck. But every you ask anybody, oh, Joe Buck hates my team. Okay, every city no, says every that. every broadcaster hates your team. <laughs> yeah, That's, that's the way everybody feels. No, I wasn't saying it. it was. He was right. The Flyers' pl- power play was awful. No, you Just are right. because the guy says what you don't want to hear, that your team's power play sucked last night, and he actually says it, it doesn't mean he hates your team. He's making an observation that's accurate. It was awful. They couldn't get it past their own blue line. They had to kept re- keep restarting the damn thing back up. They couldn't even get it going. And that's one of the reasons why you would have Shane Gossespierre in the lineup, because you would need that help offensively on the power play. So if it's looking that bad... With him in the lineup, well, then I think you have have PT, an issue. PT says Milberry was on the call last and Boosh. night. Boosh, in the in the in the um, force glass. Land, well, I phenomenal. know it wasn't Boosh. I mean, I, no, I know guy, that. But yeah, it, he was in the glass. It was John Forsland on the play-by-play. Mike Milberry and Brian Boucher between the glass. But Milberry said he said this is bad. This is you know they, they can't they got to restart it again. He kept and I said Jesus God, this is an awful. Uh, power play. And you can get away with that against the Canadians, but uh, I'm telling you, if you keep advancing, imagine not scoring on a big power play opportunity against Tampa or against Boston or against the Capitals or against the Islanders. Like, those teams will come in and they will score on the next opportunity that they have 
once you don't cash in. So they are going to have to figure that out. And one of their strong suits is a uh, is their PK. And they did allow a power play goal, although a little fluky. It kind of bounced in a slot area on the other side of the net when everyone was on one side. It, I won't really crush the PK for that happening. But Shea Weber did have an empty Well, and look, you know, as you just mentioned, not only in this series, but all the series, they're going to have to own the special teams battle if you want to go deep into the playoffs and maybe win this thing, baby. You can't give me that uh, effort last night. The power play and the penalty kill are, by the way, Montreal has big problems in both of those areas. It's one of the reasons why they're the 12 seed coming in, which is now being reshifted as the 8 seed. You see that? They renumbered them now as an 8. Well, it should be that way because then it gets all confusing. You keep well, it's it like the NCAA eight. tournament. They don't give you the number of the team you beat. You, you keep that on there like a like a – Yeah, you wear it on your chest. You don't want the 16th seed, Loyola of Chicago – or no, no, UMBC beating Virginia, and then the next round they're not the 16 anymore. Right, no, the you one. embrace that 16. All of a sudden they're the one seed. They're the one seed. <laughs> Is that how it works? Yeah. You take the seed you beat. <laughs> um, yeah, but at even strength, Montreal's, you know, they're, they're, they're probably a playoff-worthy team. It's because they're power – and that's what's frustrating is their pe- penalty kill's terrible. Yeah, their penalty kill is terrible, so you would think that the Flyers would be able to do it. And it doesn't even look good. Like, there were no times where I said, hey, look, that was a good setup. They were able to actually get things going. They were moving the puck. They had good chances, but they didn't score. It was sloppy the whole time. It's like they they don't know what they're doing out there, and I question, is it just going to magically happen? Like, I've been in plenty of locker rooms where the power play clearly struggled for a little bit of time. And then they scored one goal in one game, and then they went on like a seven-game streak of scoring power play goals. So sometimes all it takes is that one goal to give the power play some confidence. And I say they because I was never on the power play, Gil. I was on the other side. Now, for the people out there who might just be the casual hockey fan, what kind of players are on the ice in a power play situation? What kind of personnel do you want out there? Well, you want your top guys. Some, well, some teams go four forwards and one defenseman so they can utilize all of their goal scorers, but some other teams go traditional where they'll use two defenders and they'll throw three guys. But, you know, for example, you'll have Sean Couturier, Claude Giroux, and sometimes you'll throw a guy in there who isn't naturally like it, one of those top players. It's not necessarily your first line, and your first pairing of defenders. No, not necessarily. Like, you have Shane Gossespierre out there for power play opportunities. Because he's an offensive-minded defender. Exactly, and he's not your top four defenseman. So, it all depends. Some Sometimes there's that guy who, like, Obey Cabell was on the Flyers power play at some point. He's not one of your top guys, but sometimes things like that just work where, hey, this guy has it right now, put him on the power play, and let's see if he finds some goals. Now, I don't anticipate that happening in the playoffs. This was more regular season play. But the reason I bring that up is it's not always the, hey, Claude Giroux, Voracek, and Couturier need to be out there on the power play. Sometimes it's someone else. JVR, he's playing fourth-line minutes. He's a power play guy, though. He's a guy that you should camp out in front of the net, make sure he takes away the goalie's eyes, and tip some puck. So it all depends on the way that the coach wants to do it. But I think you'll see some changes for, for Game 2, some adjustments from Elaine Vigneault. Um, so on the penalty kill then, conversely, which the Flyers are pretty good in that department. They do a pretty good job there. What guys are on the ice in that guy? Is that where you are? Of course. That, that, that grindy guy who's willing to block shots. Sadly, my freshman year, I, look, I had to do whatever I need to do to get in the lineup. So during practice, I got to block biscuits. I got to do all the dirty work. I got to do everything that 
you have to do to make sure you get in line up. Here I am blocking shots on the penalty kill in practice. My thumb was hanging off my hand. It was literally like I could see everything inside, but I had to do it to get in the lineup. Sadly, there goes my season. But yes, the people on the PK, it's those it's those grindy players that are willing to block shots. But then you have guys like Kevin Hayes who produces offensively, but he's one hell of a PK guy because he gets his sticks in lanes, and he's very big when it comes to his reach, and he can move out there when it comes to the PK. So you do have sometimes some very high-powered players playing PK as well. just depends on your roster and who you can rely on. All right, so the Flyers win last night. They don't look great doing it, but they get a win. So, I mean, do you move forward and say, that was the game I wanted to see because it's out of the way now? Uh, that's a good question. You know I, what I mean? Yeah, like, I do. That's the it's game like, hey, you got, you got that first game out underneath you where you got the win. It wasn't pretty, but, hey, it was the first game. Let's move on to the next one. The, with the way we've seen Elaine Vigneault coach this team all season long, I would think that he's not satisfied with that second period to the point where that's going to eat him alive and make sure that that changes. So while I do think that, yeah, it's more like, hey, you got the first one under you, he did have that quote about the players being excited but, but talked about nervousness as well. And, you know, he, he mentioned that the team's not nervous, but you know how it is when it's the first playoff game. The, the feeling inside of you, you can't control at times. You get the butterflies, yeah. you're a little anxious. Like but I'm sure that came in. Carter play. Hart didn't have them. No. He did not. That's and what it's magnificent. Like, that, that, and that's what I thought. You know, the biggest takeaway is, and I, we said this back in the two o'clock hour, but we'll echo it again: is if you think the Flyers are going to win the cup or can make a cup run or make a deep run and get us all juiced up, you know, normally it's like April, and you're like, oh, can they go? You know, and now you're going to be talking about playing in October. Right. <laughs> think about this: you're going to be having possibly Flyers Stanley Cup. Normally, the season's starting right around October. You could be having Stanley Cup finals games up against an Eagles game. What do you do then? That's never happened. Well, I'm going Flyers, baby. And the quote was, Oh, uh, wow. Yep, yep. The, the quote was, our players are obviously a little nervous, but I think more excited than nervous. So he even alluded to, hey, look, this team is going to be a little nervous. So with that being said, I'm sure he factored that into how he took away some positives and negatives from that game, right? I mean, if he's going into the game thinking, hey, my team's going to be a little bit nervous, I would think that when he's assessing the game afterwards and, and analyzing it, he would throw that into the equation with some of the mistakes that they made. Well, what we were saying earlier is, if you think the Flyers can win the Cup, it's essentially because of the goaltender. It's not because, uh, yeah, the depth has something to do with it. It's not because you have uh, Crosby or Matthews uh, or Ovechkin. You don't have that level of player. You have a more spread out you know, depth-oriented team, it's because of the goalie. And the goalie showed every reason why last night you can have that feeling is because he essentially won the game last night. You know, he was the first star of the night, um, but conversely, Carey Price, he was the third star of the night for Montreal. And that's where this thing gets a little crazy. When you talk about the power play and if Carey Price can keep them in the game and make it an even strength, hockey series, that's where Montreal can stay in this thing. That's my my uh, observation. No, I think that's a fair observation. And, and with the speed of the Canadians, you saw it. They have the ability to push the pace. They have the ability to kind of set the tone at times. And I mentioned how what the Flyers do so well is they get the pucks deep, they get on the forecheck, and they, they make the other team so uncomfortable and force them into bad decisions. Well, you saw 
the Canadians do the same exact thing to the Flyers in that second period. They got on top of us. They got in, in the sticks and lanes, and they made the Flyers make poor decisions. And from there, they weren't able to score except for on that power play because of Carter Hart. Mm-hmm. But you saw them use the Flyers' recipe against them, and you saw how effective it could be. This, to me, is a team that gives you fits because of who they are in terms of, not because of the Montreal Canadiens and their historic friend. I'm just talking about a 12-seed who didn't really uh, deserve to be here in terms of they weren't a playoff team, but you gave them life, and now they're taking advantage of their life. But if you just outwork them, you can out-talent them as well. But they're going to be a pesty little gnat. But in the end, I think you win the series like 4-1, 4-2. They might sneak a second one out because, uh, like I said yesterday, Broads, you got that back-to-back that kind of, uh, is lingering between Game 4 and Game 5 where you might have to play Brian Elliott. Maybe you're up three games to none. Well, how about this, though? What are they going to do? Are they going to throw Carey Price in the back-to-back? You might have to by uh, default. A desperate team, yeah. Yeah, you might have to by default, but then you have a Carey Price on a back-to-back, which could totally still hurt. Well, like, I could see the Flyers being up three games to one, losing Game 4, and then having the back-to-back being up 3-1, going to Moose, Possibly losing that game, and then it's 3-2, and then you close them I, out in six. I feel comfortable. And not that I'm giving Moose an automatic loss because, right. oh, you're going to Moose. I'm just saying. That's the way I could see it getting to six. Otherwise, well, if, I think it's a five. If Moose was in last night, as much as I thought Moose was a great goaltender for this team, I can't tell you that they, he only allows one power play goal. And that's not a knock on him. That just praises how well Carter Hart was. But in a one-game situation, you tell me Moose is in net. Sometimes that backup goalie gives the team an extra sense of boost and focus. Like, hey, you know, Moose is in back there. Let's let's play a little extra harder, get this guy the win. Maybe that plays a role as well. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look. The backup goalie theory. But I, and, and he won that game in game two uh, of the um, round robin. He played excellent in that game. And um, that's something that I wrote about at the website is, Look, the depth of this team is what separates them, even the backup goalie. I think they their backup goalie is a, is a positive for them. It's a strength for them. How many teams have a second guy? I mean, I do think in the NHL it has changed. Where the backup goalie used to be Andrew Knapp. <laughs> like, just a dude that you were like, all right, I can't throw him out there. You know, he's getting 10 starts. Oh, now, that's incredible. Good, yeah. good, good by you. There's good a lot of second sure. goalies now, though. Who are pretty talented. Well, you know why? Analytics came into play a little bit with hockey. And the starting goalie during the regular season, you see them play less and less. And these backup goalies are playing more. So teams kind of value that backup goalie more. You're seeing that problem with Toronto. Toronto has no backup goalie. They lost. Can can you imagine if, like, you know how Toronto is with their media with hockey. Imagine if the Eagles lost to a quarterback on the other team who was a janitor. And that's essentially what happened with the Toronto a janitor. Maple Leafs. Toronto Maple Leafs made this. A janitor? Well, no, I'm saying, look, the Toronto Maple Leafs lost to a Zamboni driver. A Zamboni driver played a net for the Carolina Hurricanes, and they lost. They lost. So imagine if the Eagles lost to a quarterback. It doesn't have to be a janitor. That's no knock on being a janitor. It could be anything. Anything besides a football player is my point. That That's what happened to Toronto. Because their goalie's letting up goals left and right. They can't figure it out in the net when they don't have their starting goalie in. Yeah, well, look, and again, I go, what the, the, what the, the, um, Columbus? Columbus, okay. Um, Corpusala. Yes, exactly. So they had Bobrovsky, who was, obviously, the Flyers had him, traded him away. He turned into be the best goalie in the league for a little while yep. there. And then he leaves Columbus, and you're thinking, major drop off. No, not the case. So they're, 
it, my point is there's so much more depth at that position, it seems like, than there ever has been. I can agree with you. Rangers, Henrik Lundqvist, his career is probably – they got two goalies out. They had three goalies they had to figure out this year. Why is because this? Because the depth is so good. That's a great question. Do you think it has something to do with the way that they have sports science and the way goalies train? Not just goalies, just athletes in general? It's just weird because, like, okay, this this goes to, like, a lot of sports. Like, the NBA, when I was growing up, there was the five starters, the six-man, and maybe one other guy. That's it. Like, the Sixers team, when I was in, like, seventh and eighth grade, it was Johnny Dawkins, Hersey Hawkins, uh, Charles Barkley, Rick Mahorn, Mike Jaminski, Ron Anderson came off the bench, and you couldn't name another guy on that team. That's it. Ron Anderson was the sixth man, and if Kenny Payne got a couple of minutes a game, like that was like you never. Now these NBA teams are going 10, 11 deep during the season. Back then, they played seven guys, if seven. Like, same with baseball well, now. Well, do you think it's analytical? Because they want guys to rest. They don't want them to play as much, 82 games, and that rest them for the postseason? Yeah, but that's not explaining why you have so much more talent. Like, right. Like, those guys that like were on the bench. Been resting guys they, back then, but the guy coming in stunk. Right. These guys can actually hang to an extent. Right. Like, now, other than the Phillies, you go to a team that's bullpen, <laughs> and they've got six guys coming in throwing 98 miles an hour with heavy sinking movement. And they're all over the place. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, the skill level is there. I would have to put that up to the fact that the way athletes are brought up now, the way they're trained at a younger age, the way that they dedicate themselves to the craft is probably a lot different than it was, say, back in the day, right? That's the only thing that makes sense to me. That's the only way. That, the only thing I can really think of when it comes to why these athletes are so good at what they do is because the way that you focus on the sport and the, the difference in how you train for the sport, how you eat, how you weight lift, all of it has to come into play. Would you disagree? Um, no, I think no. you definitely have more training, all that stuff. There's definitely more involved now than ever. Um, you're seeing it like, okay, um, like locally here. You look at high school baseball. You know, these kids, like, you got guys constantly. You're like, where did all these pitchers come from? Like, that you got guys, you know, um, there's a kid that's local, goes to mainland. He's throwing 100 miles an hour. He's the number one. By the way, those jerseys, I saw the post from the 97.3 ESPN website. Yeah. The white with the green and the. The old Astro look. The, phenomenal. Yeah, but everybody was wearing them a couple of years ago. They kind of went back out of style. Ah. Uh. I, I didn't yeah, know that. Like I didn't two know or the three local years ago that everybody was. That. No, I mean everybody was wearing those old Astros uniforms. I don't follow was, too much high school. No, baseball. but I'm just saying, like that was kind of back in style, and then they it kind of went right back. Uh, well, I like those pictures. I saw the pictures on the website article. I'm like, wow, those jerseys are awesome. Right, but you, I mean, so you got uh, you know you got all these pictures all of a sudden coming out of you know the woodworks, and you're like, you know. Back when when you played high school baseball, there was like one guy who threw eighty. Yeah, you and never he, wanted to see him. Right, exactly. Now you got guys throwing. I mean, this kid's throwing a hundred. I'd probably take it yard. You might. Yeah, maybe a bunt down the left field side. <laughs> By the way, speaking of a bunt, a little small ball you saw yesterday's game. Bryce Harper. And this brings up interesting. We're talking analytics. That's kind of what drove this conversation. Does Bryce too. Harper overthink the room sometimes? What do you mean by that? Like, I'm Bryce Harper. I'm laying down a bunt. What's that accomplishing? Well, it's I, like I guy, think it's forcing teams to I, not I, and, use and, the shit. And I asked this question. Okay, maybe. So I asked this question. There's times when I'll have a player, kid, who's my best player, but also the smartest kid and the nicest kid. That's rare that they're all the same, the nicest kid, the smartest kid, and the best player. But from time to time, it happens. 
and he'll be hitting like number three, and he'll say, do you want me to lay down a bunt? I'm thinking, dude. Do you, do I want you to lay down a butt. You're the only guy I got that can hit the ball out of the infield. You know what I What's mean? What's his like, exit velocity? You know what I'm saying? But, like, Harper, he's the one guy on the team that can do major damage every time he comes up. I don't want to see him wasting at bat with a bunt. Funny you say that. Reese Hoskins walked. Shocker. Bryce Harper lays down a bunt. And then from there, they scored two runs from that. So while I get what you're saying... Bryce has the power to be able to score and, and make plays happen and hit home runs and all that. You could argue that Bryce Harper laying down that bunt was one of the reasons why they scored two runs in that inning. So while he wasn't the one to actually do it, his team scored and produced because of what he decided to do at the plate. Mm -hmm. But I just question, how many times does he need to do this for teams to then look themselves in the mirror and go, we're not giving Bryce Harper that anymore? It sounds silly to think that because if you told me every time Bryce Harper was up, he's going to get a single, don't you think you would live with that if you're the manager? Like, hey, Bryce Harper's going to get a single because he's going to bunt it. Wouldn't you take that? Because the alternative, like you said, is this guy could do damage every single time he walks up to the plate. If you're the other manager. Right, that's what yeah. I'm saying. So do you think the shift ever goes away for Bryce and they no. just give him no, the bunt every time? There was an article that was written that we read on the air, a couple excerpts from it about a year ago, about people complaining, the fans, why don't you just lay a bunt? And the whole article mapped out is the other team wants you to bunt it because – Baseball has become a double or a home run. If you hit a single, the other team's okay with that. Why? Because no one steals bases anymore. So you can sit on first base. That means it's going to take two hits to get you home. And that's the whole philosophy. If you're on first base, have first base. You can take first base if you want. So if you want to bunt the ball down the left-hand side and get yourself on first base, we're okay with that because it's going to take two hits to get you around the bases. But what if this scenario continues to play out? Where? Reese walks before Bryce. Bryce lays the bunt down. Now you got two men on. And then you have guys scoring well, runs. That's like, different if, if there's a runner on base in front of them. Well, that's yeah, that's what happened specifically in last night. Yeah, so exactly. I do agree with you. It does it does matter if someone is on. But with Reese and the way he's walking, you know? Or hitting double plays. You like the walk? <laughs> oh, don't you dare. <laughs> do I like I like it more than a five four three double play. Luckily, we won't see that from Reese today because he's not in the yeah, lineup. Yeah, what's that lineup? We got uh, the Phillies game has been postponed. It will start in, what, about an hour? That's what they were claiming. Around 545 was the last thing I saw. So that looks to be it. Alec Bohm in the lineup. No Reese Hoskins. You got the full lineup? Yes, I do. Or Andrew McCutcheon. No, I, I didn't know you wanted me to read the I court. said you with the full lineup. All right, McCutcheon, DH. He does look a little wonky out there in left field yesterday when it came to running. So he's DHing today. Segura in the two-hole. Bryce Harper batting third. JT catching behind the plate in the cleanup spot. Didi Gregorius. Alec Bohm playing third, batting sixth. Jay Bruce in left field. Neil Walker. Roman Quinn. Arietta on the ball. Okay, ball. where's Walker playing? First base. I don't need Walker in my lineup. That's where I have a problem. It's not like Gosselin, who's hot, okay, and I'm not even an advocate for that. Why is Walker in the lineup tonight? Do I need Walker in the lineup tonight? Probably Can I play not. Bowman third, Segura at second, can't Kingery? I mean, I know Kingery's struggling, but why Walker? Where's Phil Gosselin? He plays two bag, doesn't he? Yeah. Okay. He you played a phenomenal two bag yesterday. You don't think this yesterday. is a perfect spot for him to say, you need Neil Walker in the lineup? You saved Neil Walker for the double header. You got nine of them coming up. I don't have an answer for you, Gil. Brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call with four convenient locations to serve you online.
hand up And though I'm out on the highway My, my thoughts are still with her Now this is a great one Now here. see, this is how I know you're not in tune with new country No because This is when I was at WVU Right, if you go this I know not, every word to this song though uh, it doesn't I know every word to this song Well, you were singing it during the break And I go well, I said Durso's Brooks? coming on yeah, Durser's got that. The man behind the black cat. Kenny Chesney. He's, like he's like a Jim Ross over here. <laughs> I thought you'd go Kenny, you know, something Jay Goins, something new, nah. Thomas Rhett. Nah, this is Garth where Brooks. At. Next you go Shania Twain. Yeah, Pooh Twang. Yeah, baby. Nah, this is, uh, I mean, come on. I need a couple of coffee and a couple dollars change going Baton Rouge. I think Carter Hart listens to this before he goes into a playoff game. Oh, yeah. What do you think? Won't you put it on through? Gotta send my love down to Baton Rouge. Hurry up. Won't you put her on the line? Gotta talk to my girl just one more time. Alright. You think Durso knows all I think words. Durso's pumped up. Now. I don't think so. I think he's more my my time. Like, hey, let's let's get up with the new country. Oh, I don't know about that. I think I think Durso's more. He's like a George Strait guy. guy, maybe a little I George Strait. Little Willie Nelson. Oh, jeez. See Durso's sitting on the uh, couch with the boots on, feet up, maybe bourbon. <laughs> no, too much cigar. All right, that's enough. Kevin Durso covers the Flyers for 973ESPN.com. Can you tell we're pumped up? Absolutely. You guys got me fired up. I, was, <laughs> I, went and saw, Garth, I got, saw Garth Brooks three times on one weekend once. Three times on one weekend? One weekend? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Oh, you're giving me, oh, Kevin, you're, oh, one you're giving me Kevin Owens over there. I thought he was just saying Jake Owens. Oh, oh, come on. WWE guy, whatever. <laughs> the same weekend. I thought he was going to say are you, total. Are you old school country or new school? A little bit of both, but you kind of just, you hit my wheelhouse with that. Garth Brooks, George Strait, Alan Jackson. There you and, go. And, and, and the lean towards the new school sort of side. My, fa- my favorite artist is Brad Paisley. So okay. there you go. Okay. I mean, come on. It's a hockey guy. Everything's a little 90s. Uh, the, the hockey guys don't move out of the 90s, man. It's well, all no, stuck right there. No, that's just right Flyers there. fans. Yeah, well, that too. But, I mean, it's all stuck right there in the 90s. All right. Let's get your take last night. Kevin Durso, some takeaways are up right now. At 973ESPN.com. What was your top takeaway? They get a win, but it wasn't like, wow, this cup team looks like a cup contender with that win last night. I think the top takeaway is what you guys have been talking about the entire day. It's Carter Hart. I mean, here he is on his, the day before his 22nd birthday, and you go out, you make 27 saves, and essentially outduel your boyhood Hut Idol. What, what a way to do it. I mean, he was locked in from the beginning. Didn't see a ton of pressure early in the game, but then you get a period like the second where the Flyers are not their best, nowhere near it, in fact, and he gives them a chance to win. He faces 17 shots in that period and only let one in, and it was one that he didn't have a chance to make a save on because it was a rebound that popped loose and went right to Shea Weber with an open net. So what are you going to do about that? But for the rest of it, he stayed poised. He showed the same composure and the same you know same level of play as he had against the rest of the top competition against the uh the round robin teams and he looks like you know it's his 22nd birthday and he's playing beyond his years with that and he doesn't talk about it like it's anything that big of a deal to him it's just another game to the rest of us i don't think it is the performance that we've longed to see from a flyers goaltender what do you think went wrong in that second period? When I saw the sloppy play, I'm texting you, I'm dropping words that I can't say on the radio, I'm all fired up. I couldn't believe it because that was the ugliest I think I've seen that team play in a long time. So what do you think went wrong there? I think a lot of it is credit to the Montreal Canadiens because this is what they did to the Pittsburgh Penguins too. This team's not a pushover, and they can hang around in a game. And one of the keys to them is that 
when they can get on the forecheck like that and play that physical style, they will force you into mistakes. And the Flyers were very unhinged in that second period, especially early. Lots of turnovers, a lot of poor breakouts, and that that's where it comes into play. You know, Montreal's a team that will attack off of those opportunities, that will take advantage of the times when you maybe try to activate the defense to create some offensive push, and that leaves a little bit of that leaves you a little bit exposed in the back end. That's what they do, and this is how they're going to try to be able to win these games. When when the Flyers are dictating the ones that lock down the neutral zone, they're very successful. But when it doesn't go that way, and the breakouts are poor, and you're creating turno and you're making turnovers, I should say, exiting the zone, then Montreal is going to keep that push coming because they play a similar style in that sense, where they're going to be relentless in that other direction. And if you can't get out of your own zone, then it's going to lead to opportunities like that and you know lucky for the rest of the flyers that carter hart was really on his game to keep them in that game they didn't score a goal in that period until under six minutes to go and then lucky again that they had such a quick answer once again to take control of the game again and allow carter hart to play from in front to continue to protect the lead and and they did iron it out by the end of the second period and into the third where they were much better team in the third period and they put that game on lockdown Adjustments are obviously big in a playoff series, and there was some pretty big news today with the Montreal Canadiens that Claude Julien was taken to the hospital and will not be back for this series. So obviously that is devastating news for him, and we all wish him the best with that. But um, in terms of the series, how big of an impact is not having the head coach who's very experienced in this league? It's going to have some impact just because you you lean on your coach to kind of call out a few things to maybe make some in-game adjustments to – prepare for the matchups, especially when, you know, in these games that are going to be coming down the line, games three and four where Montreal is going to be the home team and they get to match the lines better than the Flyers will as a road team. That's where you lean on your coach a little bit. But for the most part, I thought, you know, GM Mark Bergevin said something very interesting that is definitely true to, to the whole idea of the series. You know, it's not the coaches that beat the Pittsburgh Penguins in that qualifier. It's the players, and the group is still the same. You know, nothing changes about the playing roster here. So if they continue to play that style of game, and especially if they can get the Flyers off of their game, then it doesn't really change much. I think it's still going to show it's going to be a competitive series. And if the Flyers can get back onto their game and play a much more solid game, especially over the course of all three periods, then maybe we'll see a different look on the scoreboard but I don't think that you can expect much different from Montreal Canadiens. They're going to bring the same pressure, and they're going to play with that same compete level that they showed in Game 1 and throughout the previous series against Pittsburgh. Uh, Kevin Durso covers the Flyers, 97.3 ESPN.com. Carter Hart obviously uh, says it's just another game, but how big of it – of a game was that for him to win that, you know, I know those round robin games were kind of considered playoff games, but for him to be in a series and not only win the game, uh, he was the first star. He was the reason why they won that game. Yeah. And and he says it's, it's just another game, but realistically, and one of the things I said when I was on with you guys yesterday is, you know, taking game one sets the tone for the series. If it's let's, you know, the Flyers didn't have their best game, but let's say that that leads to a Montreal win. And Montreal's feeling really great this morning and into the afternoon and preparing for game two. They're feeling great about themselves. They might still be feeling good about themselves if they kept it close. It's a 2-1 final. You're right there. But obviously, you know, the Flyers have something else to give, and I think they know it. And after another day of practice and the opportunity to go and start a game fresh from the beginning, that puts the momentum on the Flyers' side. They already have the upper hand in the series with the one nothing lead in the series. 
and you can really get command of the series with game two wins. So I think that that's what makes it such a big win, you know, outside of Carter Hart saying it's just another game. It's a big one because of the fact that it sets the tone for the rest of the series, and the Flyers now have that momentum going forward that they're the team that just needs three more wins to get to the next round, not four like Montreal does, and that's that's why it's such a big deal. Do you think that Elaine Vigneault makes any changes to the lineup? There's two that I question. I think Shane Gossespierre might be out and Robert Haig might be in. This one, I'm just a little curious on, on, on your opinion on this. Uh, JVR, I don't think I like him playing with Nate Thompson and Tyler Pitlick. I don't know if that does him justice. Like I feel like he needs some other line to play with. It doesn't really suit his game well. Yeah, I'll answer both of them, bros. I think the first one is a legitimate expectation. I don't I don't know that it's going to happen. I think that Shane Gossier didn't do anything that would take him out of the lineup, but I think that the style of play could result in the change. You know, uh, Robert Haig fits the Montreal style of play. It, it's physical. It's a lot of battles along the wall, on the forecheck, things like that. And I think that's where you need Robert Haig's presence. I think we saw that Montreal was going out there and bringing a physical presence. You saw Shea Weber lay a couple of big hits. You saw the forecheck look really strong and put a lot of physicality into the game and I think that that's where Robert Haig's presence would be better suited for this series just because you know as much as you'd like to have Shane Gossesper out there to help power your offense he can be a liability on defense and if you don't want one of those chances coming back especially if they get an odd man rush out of it I think that putting Haig out there gives you the presence of mind that there's two guys who are going to play in their own end well and Haig is a phys- you know, he's a human wrecking ball at times in, in games. And in the playoffs, it's even more amped up. And I think that now that you've seen that, he might go back in. As for Van Riemsdyk, I, I agree with you. I didn't think that yesterday was Nick Aubrey-Kubel's best game, for one. And I think that Van Riemsdyk could be better suited, especially if you're going to put Jake Voracek on that third line. I think Aubrey-Kubel fit well with Joel Farabee, and they got some opportunities. And I think that that's where it made a lot of sense. But I don't know if it made as much sense when – you know, Jake Voracek's out there. Here's a guy who's got skill and who can bring that element to that line. Now I think he can put another skill winger out there in, in JVR and, and maybe pair them together. They've got a lot of playing experience together as well, so maybe that works out. I definitely wouldn't touch the line that Farabee's on. I think Farabee's a good fit with Couturier and Giroux. So I think that that's a fair change to possibly make to elevate Van Riemsdyk in the lineup, to put him on a line with Voracek and then maybe move Abe Kubel down. And put him in a role where he fits better. I think that he can make some things happen on that line, even though, you know, Nate Thompson's not a skill guy and Tyler Pitlick's not necessarily going to be considered a skill guy either. But I think that that could be a real good grind line for the Flyers that can bring a lot of energy and maintain in maintain where the game is as opposed to trying to be expected to contribute. Durso's with us, Kevin Durso, Kevin underscore Durso on Twitter. They did score on the power play. But the third period power play was as bad as the Phillies' bullpen. So if they want to make a legit deep run and maybe win this thing, they got to get better in that aspect, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that the four-on-three portion of the one power play in the third period was that bad. I think with the ice space, they had an opportunity to, to make something happen. But that only lasted for about a minute, and a minute, minute and a half. And the rest of that power play was not good at all. And then the other one that they had where they had a full two minutes at five on four, not good at all. You know, they score on the first one, and you wonder if that was going to open some things up, maybe build some confidence. It didn't happen that way in game one. And that was an opportunity, by the way. There was two third-period power plays. 
it's an opportunity to essentially put the game away. I think that I don't think that Montreal had anything for the Flyers at that point, simply because of the fact that you know they were starting to play lockdown. Montreal, after taking 17 shots in the second period, for a majority of the period, had just three. So you were seeing that shutdown angle of the game, and the Flyers were playing that style. And one goal there probably was enough to do it. You felt it then. Um, and I think that what happened later on, you know, that the late push by the Canadians is not a surprise. When you're down by one, you get the goalie out and you have a couple of opportunities. But it wouldn't have been nearly as dicey of a situation toward the end of the game. The post by Nick Suzuki that was talked about by Broads earlier also, you know, it, that's not as big of a deal when it's a two-goal game and you're protecting a two-goal lead. It, it's obviously magnified when one goal changes everything and could force overtime. So I think when you get those power play opportunities, especially when they're as limited as they were in game one, the Flyers had three, Montreal had one, you've got to take advantage. That's areas that can decide the game, you know, maybe even, you know, not just in this series, but in series to come too. When you're playing a team that's way better than Montreal is on paper and that can bring a different style, you need to take advantage of special teams. And the Flyers didn't do that in either area of the game. Not that the power play goal for Montreal came back to haunt them, but they certainly could have put the game away with another power play goal. What were you thinking when TK dished it over to Kevin Hayes? Hayes spins around to pass it to Lawton, and there's a wide open net. And here comes Carey Price with an insane save. It had to have been a little bit different of a feeling than when Nate Thompson missed the wide open net in the third, right? Yeah, I'll, go, I'll look at both of them for a minute here for you. The, uh, the Lawton chance... To be honest, I didn't think Price stopped it. I thought Suzuki blocked it. He dove well, good thing he did, because if that hits Suzuki, I don't know if he'd be available to play the next game. Yeah, for real. I totally agree with that. And I guess I, guess I was a little surprised at how there wasn't much of a reaction to anything. I think, like, you know, if it would have hit Suzuki, then, you know, he probably would have been in a ton of pain. And I don't think anybody would have been standing around trying to figure out where the puck went. It lands all of a sudden. Obviously, you realize that Lawton didn't score there. When you know the, the way the play was set up reminded me of Lawton's first goal in, in the round robin game against Washington. It was very reminiscent of that. That behind the back, no look pass. It was kind of a you know, a, a similar setup. And Lawton's got the wide open net. And you're thinking, here comes another goal, and it's going to be two nothing Flyers. And it's an incredible save by Carey Price. It, it, that's the type of save that he can bring to a game. And it could have down the down the road. It could have been a game changer for sure. Uh, and you know Nate Thompson's opportunity. He's not known as a scorer, but at the same time, that's that's a pretty easy one. I don't know how you miss that from that spot. All you have to do is really just let it, let it hit your stick and go into the net. And I think he actually tried to force it in that direction, and that's why he missed the net. If you just let it hit your stick at the right angle, it, it goes into the net, and it's it's a three-one game, and you're not even thinking about anything from there. It should have been game over at that point too. So. You know, those are opportunities the Flyers are going to want to bury in games that are to come in this series. I don't think he can say much for Lawton because he was going to hit the net. It was going in. It just got tipped by the stick of Carey Price, so it it would have been a goal if Price didn't make an incredible save. But the Nate Thompson one, those are goals that no matter who's on the ice, whether it's your fourth line or your first line, those are goals that can make a big difference, especially when you don't have to protect a one-goal lead in the final minute of the game like the Flyers did in game one. Get his five takeaways from game one of Flyers-Canadians right now on our website, 973ESPN.com. Kevin Durso on the Flyers series. They'll play tomorrow at 3 o'clock. We'll have the game for you live on 973ESPN. He'll be breaking it down in the post game tomorrow night as soon as it's over with Josh during game night, and that's at uh, right after 6, and that's all tomorrow right here with Durso and the website, 973ESPN.com. Thanks, Kevin. Great talking to you guys. Thanks. As always, Eli Gallgast appeared 
via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Our Flyers coverage is brought to you by the PlaySugarHouse.com. Check that out. And, of course, Sports Pass brought to you by SHM Financial. Are you quickly approaching or in retirement? Don't get overwhelmed. Contract Contact SHM Financial right now, 800-MONEY-SHM, or visit online at SHMFinancial.com. So yesterday we had the five. We answered those. We did okay. Yeah, we're going to do another round of the five for tomorrow's game, and we'll resurface them on uh, Monday. That's coming up next. The Sports Bash 5 on the way. It's Flyers Playoff Hockey tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app with Tim Saunders and Steve Coates calling all the exciting play-by-play action. He shoots! He scores! Listen to Philadelphia Flyers Playoff Hockey. Number five will always love you. Uh, we get the five to wrap up today's show. Tomorrow, don't forget, Flyers Hockey at three. The boys will take you leading up to that. I'm off tomorrow. I'll be back on Monday. Yeah, uh, so we'll go over these questions on Monday. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, they play Sunday. Flyers though. play Sunday night, too. Yeah. It's exciting stuff. Can't wait. All right, so for game two, do the Flyers win game two? Uh, I believe they do. Okay. The score? I'll go 3 1. 3 1. Empty net or no empty net? Doesn't no, matter. It doesn't matter. No really. empty net. No empty net. I'll just, just for no other reason, just the to bust hard. the stones later. Yeah, you're right. It is. How many power play goals? Uh, I don't think they get that fixed. Okay, wow. None. Zip. Does Joel Faraby score in back to back games? Can't do that. Well, he's playing with Sean Couturier and Claude Jury. Yeah, I know. All right. No goals for Joel Farabee. Will there be a Billy Schwein drop the mitts fight that happens in this game? Um, it's about the only series I haven't seen to throw down. Now, it's interesting you bring that up. When I posted my uh, Sports Talk with Broads instant reaction on 973ESPN.com, one of the things I brought up was this game was one of like the least intense games that I've seen so far in the NHL playoffs. You saw the Capitals and the Islanders punching each other in the face within minutes. You see this Columbus series that's going into five overtimes, but they have a little bit of history because of what happened last year between the Lightning and the Blue Jackets. But this series, at least in game one, it wasn't that much screw you type attitude out there. Now, if there was a flyer to get into a scuffle, who's the guy? Well, you almost saw Joel Fairby drop him. Not drop them, but you saw him get into a little bit of a tussle there in front of the net. If there was someone to do it, Scott well, Scott Lawton could do it. Huh. But I feel like at this point he knows his role is too important. Like, would he value his play at this point over sitting in the box and dropping the mitts? It's a great question. Derek Grant. <laughs> Derek Grant. Third line centerman. Bonneman. Yeah, he's not he won't be in the lineup though. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, Nate Thompson would be another one that would drop the mitts. Good call by Josh. So are you going fight? No or yes? No fight. No fight. Uh, I can't be a layup. Yeah, I Flyers feel are a passive bunch. They they are. They don't have that. But hey, sometimes it nice just guys. happens. Sometimes the, it just happens. A lot of nice boys on that team, kid. Yeah, but you know what? They've changed into what works in 2020, and look at the difference. This is I what works. I hope the Flyers go all the way to win the cup with no scuffles, and Schwein has to say... The Flyers won the cup and didn't get into a fight. That's not hockey. But, Mike, 
big guys beat up on little guys. I know, I told him, you can't root for long, because you said big guys... I changed my stance on that, Mike! That was that swine. That's good. You do a good swine. I'll give you that. You do a good swine. Yeah. Alright, uh, tomorrow the boys are in for me. Flyers at 3. I'll be back Monday. Flyers got a 3 o'clock tilt on Tuesday. Yes, they do. I like these 3 o'clock tilts. Oh, why? Because you get to relax? I like a nice 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, it's uh, weird because about two hours ago you said the 3 o'clock <laughs> nah, game feels weird. Feel, it doesn't feel like I got poor Vegas in, uh, what's it called, um, Chicago playing at 3 o'clock. Come on, man. Got to do better. Play a game at 11. I get more pumped up for that. Josh is up next. Game night.